unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm good, and we're back tapping into my favorite series that we've done on this podcast, so I'm excited for today's episode. Yeah, um, great. We're back with another show in the Old Masters series. Um, the book is How I Learned the Secrets of Success in Advertising by G. Lynn Sumner, and Guy Sumner originally published this book in 1952 okay and it was recently reissued and you can get it now on amazon there's a someone else has published it and we'll put a link in the show notes i only heard about this book from friend of the podcast don halpman uh, who was on here you know and has made a lot of great recommendations the author sumner was really an old master so here's an article i found archive from the New York Times of May 15th, 1940, when Sumner was, you know, at the height of his career, it's announcing that he was reelected as president of the Advertising Club of New York. It was 81 years ago. And, you know, the book's called um, How I Learned the Secrets of Success in Advertising. There's one secret that's particularly important, as important today as it was when the book was written. It has to do with the one thing that separates ordinary copy from blockbuster copy, and that's imagination. Sumner has some great ideas about how to develop it, and that's what we'll talk about today. After we talk about this, copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast, and most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So a lot of people believe that imagination in advertising is just coming up with some wild and crazy idea and throwing it up against the wall and and hoping and praying it will stick. Problem is, sometimes it does, but almost all the time it doesn't. So let's talk about how to vastly increase your odds by using your imagination to increase sales. And we'll start with an important question about creative thinking. What is creative thinking? You see, some people, some creative people, truly believe that creative thinking is a magic thing you can't describe or learn or teach. And you know what? For them, that may be true. And a lot of people who haven't learned how to think creatively think the same thing. So what follows from this way of looking at things is the phrase creativity. Either you got it or you don't. Like it's something you're born with. Uh, Guy Sumner doesn't see it that way, and neither do I. Sumner says, creativity is taking known facts, known elements, known functions, and arranging them in new patterns. That sounds simple enough, but he admits this is not easy because 
to do this, it requires focused thinking. Now, what about creativity and copy? Well, that's where Sumner talks about what we're going to talk about today. He talks about another important quality, imagination. So if creativity is the lab where stuff gets designed, imagination is the art department where it gets put together in the most appealing way. Stated another way, imagination is what you use to make your creativity add value, add sales value to your copy. Okay, so um, here's a very simple analogy, metaphor, um, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Sumner talks about watching his mother allegory, um, um, parable. (laughs) Sumner talks about watching his mother make a cake. So the flour and the sugar and the eggs, they would just sit there in the pan. Um, The flour and the sugar and the eggs were the creativity. Then his mom would put in the magic ingredient, which is baking powder. Um, Then when you put all that in the oven, the ingredients would rise and form a delicious cake. Now, Nathan, you're from the pro bakery industry. Um, (laughs) Is that true? That is true. Uh, I I like to get independent verification of these things. Thank you. (laughs) Um, So Sumner goes on to say that imagination is the baking powder of copy. And how do you go about creating ideas? Well, the most important thing about imagination is it's unlike just pouring in a cup or a teaspoon or however much you put in a baking powder, it's not that mechanical or obvious in the way it works. Active use of imagination occurs in the unconscious mind, which is a term I prefer to use, but we'll use Sumner's term for this show. He likes to call it the subconscious mind. And he compares the subconscious mind to the stomach. Okay, he says, just as the normal stomach receives food and goes about his task of breaking it down, treating it with digestive juices, and then preparing it to feed the body's needs, so your subconscious is working on accumulated facts and observations and your experiences and your general knowledge, and then sorting them out, trying to put together a newly formed idea, or find the solution to a problem. A couple of really important conclusions from what he says. First, you need to let your subconscious mind do the work in order to come up with new ideas. And secondly, you can't let your, you can't get, well, you can't ask your subconscious mind to do this work on a quote-unquote empty stomach. I'm not talking about eating for creativity or intermittent fasting. What I mean is you need to do your homework first. You need to load up your mind with facts and ideas and, in fact, retrieve some old memories. You need to do research and let yourself remember things. Sumner says, you do not feel your stomach at work. That is, unless you have indigestion, you do not feel your stomach at work, but it is working just the same. Similarly, you do not feel or hear the subconscious mind at work, but it is busy day and night. That's what he says. So I found all this to be true. You can't skip the steps, but you can work with the subconscious mind to develop ideas. And this is important. With practice, you can speed up the steps, but you can't skip them all together. So Nathan, before we go on, what are your thoughts about this? One of my practices that I do whenever I'm working with a client 
for a new promo or rewriting one of their old promos. I'll go through their content, but I'll also go through their competitors content. So if whoever their perfect competitor is, I'll go through and I'll read their books or I'll listen to their books or I'll go through one or two of their courses. Um, I'll also go to similar web and I'll look out their competition and I'll look at the ads that their competition is running. I'll look at um, the pages, the landing pages that they're sending traffic to, because I want to get kind of like a holistic view of the industry and the more content from that industry that I absorb, the more little things start meshing together. So if I'm just going through my client's course, I'm not going to get that bigger picture. I'm not going to have as many ingredients to mix together to come up with some of the ideas that I'm going to use in my copy. So I don't know if that's a, a very frequently practiced thing, but I like to go through my client's competitions material and use that as part of the baking process as it may be. Yeah. I mean, I don't know one way or the other, but I suspect it's not a fairly common practice and it should be. Yeah. So similar web, um, is that similar web.com? I've never heard similar dot web. Similar web.com. And it's just a, you can put in your, your uh, competitions websites, and then you can see where their traffic's coming from. You can see which ads they're running, which pages they're sending people to and not for swiping purposes, but just so I can kind of get an understanding of what's working, what's connecting and how other people are thinking. A lot of times just getting my client's point of view, just getting my client's uh, previous controls doesn't give me a big enough view of where the entire market is at. So I like to look at their, that one of my, one of my first questions when I am interviewing a client is who's your perfect competitor? Because I want to go see what the best people in their industry are doing, what kind of stuff they're putting together, what's working for the market and just restricting myself to my client's content kind of robs me of that perspective. Yeah, that's, that's a really good approach. All right. So let's go into the next portion, which is four steps um, on how to feed your imagination. Um, Sumner gives four steps to prepare your mind to come up with new imaginative ideas. Here they are one by one. <clears throat> Number one, clearly define your problem. Clearly define your specific problem. And the keyword here is specific. Remember what the comedian Lily Tomlin said? I always wanted to be somebody. Now I realize I should have been more specific. <laughs> a lot of times people are not specific when they sit out on a creative journey. You know, they're working on copy and they say to themselves, I want to come up with some new ideas. That's dangerous. Your subconscious mind might come up with some interesting but counterproductive ideas like, Oh, why don't you put this aside and have a few drinks? Or, you know what would be fun? Tell your client what you really think of them. Or, I bet there's some really good shows on TV. As opposed to having a very specific definition of your problem, your request, I want to come up with three headlines for this promo that will all really appeal to our best prospect. With that kind of specific direction, your subconscious mind knows what to do because it has a clear idea of what your conscious mind is looking for, and it can give you a much better answer. Nathan, any thoughts on specifically defining a problem? Uh, just that if you don't 
clearly identify your destination. You don't have any real chance of making it there. So if you just say, I want to go somewhere, you'll go somewhere, but that doesn't mean you'll go where you want to go. Yeah, there are 360 degrees in a circle, and that's before you divide them up into seconds and minutes. Okay, so step number two is assemble all you know. Now, you can do this on paper or in screen, or you can talk into an audio recorder, and I would strongly recommend against doing this in your head. And I would say, put it in some recorded form. What Sumner says you're looking for in step two of feeding your imagination, what you want to get on paper or out into a recorder or on a screen, you want to get all the known facts that you have that have any bearing on your problem, what you've experienced in your own life personally that's relevant, what you've read, and some thoughts on how all of these things apply to human nature and to your market in particular. Me, I'd get it on paper. I use these 11 by 17 blank sheets. It's kind of like a whiteboard in paper form that doesn't need to go up on the wall. It's twice the size of a regular letter sheet of paper or A4 for people who live in other countries in the U.S. and use the A4 designation. Now, doing all of this for step two sounds like a lot, right? A lot of pieces of information and experience just to come up with one good idea. The thing is, you don't know in advance which pieces you're going to be using to put together your new idea. You can't know, at least not consciously, but you need to pull together what you do know. And this probably means that you need to already have done your research before you get into any of these steps. Okay, so. This step two seems pretty valid to me. In fact, Nathan, it sounds a lot like what you were describing um, in, in the competitor research that you do for your prospect. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. One A-lister told me I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. I have a question for you. I run into a problem sometimes where I have some stuff left over that I wasn't able to fit into the copy and everywhere I try to fit it, it feels like I'm trying to shoehorn it in. But then when I look at it, I'm like, oh, when you order like a bed from Ikea and you've got three pieces left uh. over, <laughs> that's kind of how I feel when I do this process and I have one or two ideas or, or things that I'm like, 
this should really be part of the copy, but I can't find anywhere without making it feel forced. Do you ever run into that? And what's your solution when that happens? Um, probably, but my solution is I'm a minimalist. I, I like to get as much as I can and then use as little as I can. So I'm very happy to discard stuff. You don't feel like, uh, everything's going to fall apart if there's an extra screw left over. No, but then I, I can't deal with Ikea and stuff like that. I pay other people to put those things together for me because I have no, no patience or ability. Um, but you know, one thing you could do is if you're going to do a test later on, you might use that for a test instead of what you got there. You could sort of keep it in your reserve for, for future modifications of the letter. That's a good approach. All right. Um, Step number three, I'm quoting here exactly. Think about the facts, experiences, and insights you just brought to mind. Sumner seems to be recommending that you do this in your head. Most people think in their heads. I can't imagine he meant anything else. I have a different take. Unless you're the kind of person who can design an entire new engine in your head, run it the way it would run in real life, and then troubleshoot it. And there are people who can do this, but not many. Unless you're that kind of person, then I suggest you do this step on paper on a screen, maybe as a mind map or an outline or a list. And this is a big one. Not having this step handled before you start to write is actually the single biggest clause of writer's block. Because this step is not optional. It has to happen one way or another. It's like Mr. Goodwrench, I'll get you now or I'll get you later. The thing about this step is this is where the shape of the copy comes together. It's not all the details. It's not the exact sequence, but it is the general form of it. And what a lot of people who wait to the last minute do is they let this happen while they're writing. They go into a fevered sweat and panic and they get their brain vibrating at a very high rate, and they go into kind of an emergency mode, and it gets done, and the cost of the stress is unbelievable. It might break down afterwards, but also the quality of the copy is not nearly as good as it can be. So this, this part's not fun, but it's not fun, and if you can do it ahead of time, it's much better. It's much harder to do it while you're forced do it while you're writing. Among other reasons, you know, including time and, and pressure and, and guilt and anger and fear and all that, you don't have the bandwidth. When you're writing, that, that takes up a lot of your brain. And if you're also trying to figure out the structure and the sequence and the, make all these choices, boom. So my suggestion is not to just, you know, mind map it or write it down, but, but actually try and do something with it knowing entirely that what you do may not make the final cut. For example, write as many bullet points as you can and don't worry about how you're going to use them. This will fall into place later when you're writing. And, you know, to get back to your point earlier, Nathan, Gary Bensavenga, uh, you know, was considered at one point when he was working the greatest copywriter around, at least for the large direct mail promotions for for info products, um, he said, write seven times as many bullets as you need. Okay. 
but bullet points is is really good. It, it gets you thinking about the information, how it fits together, how to use it. A second thing you could do in in this stage is another an alternative to the bullet points is go through everything very carefully and start brainstorming the idea for a hook. Now, this may be a hook that you end up never using. The important part, though, is not what you come up with, but that you're getting into your pre-work, the stuff you've already done before, and applying it to something. The third way is to put together a detailed outline for the copy. This is another alternative. Take all these things and put together a detailed outline copy, even though you may end up throwing that outline away later, you may end up taking a different, radically different approach. The point here is to take the information and use it with some intention. Um, what you need to do is do one of these things like you mean it. This will get you over the hump. But again, the hard part is to do it like you mean it, while also being willing to replace part or all of it later if you come up with something better. So that's the end of the third step, essentially assembling this information into some form. What do you think, Nathan? I like to do a combination. Typically when I'm going through, because most of my, what I do is I write either for coaches and consultants that have info products, or I write a lot for SaaS uh, software as a service products. If I'm going through a course or if I'm going through a program that somebody has, I'll go through and I'll do the bullets. I'll write as many different bullets as I can. But when it comes time to actually writing the the sales copy, which is usually after I've written the bullets, um, Joe Schrieffer, he has that copyboarding met method. Uh, I like to do a storyboard. I like to go through and I like to say, okay, how am I going to get people interested? How am I going to get them emotionally invested? How is that going to turn into, uh, um, how am I going to transition that into the offer? How am I going to put them at ease? How am I going to overcome uh, their objections? So I like, to, I like to do a combination of writing bullets and um, writing out a storyboard. I like to approach my copy from a story-driven perspective. And I think I think I got that from you, actually. I think that's great. And I also want to point out that there's nothing wrong with doing more than one of these. I, I assume most people are going to find just one of these a huge leap from where they are. But um, the more you can do with the stuff before you get to the next step, the better. Because it, that really starts to feed and focus the subconscious mind um, for imagination. And then step four. I'll just quote directly from Sumner in the book. He's talking about the ideas, the information, the pieces of information. He says, put them aside to ripen, to mature. A certain process of germination must take place. Put them away and forget about them. I can't really explain this fourth step any more than I can explain how some of the food in your stomach ends up becoming muscle tissue or some becomes brain tissue some finds its way to your beating heart all i can say is i know it worked it's worked for me over and over again it's worked well for others too and the biggest problem of doing nothing in the fourth step the problem is not so much doing nothing the problem is you've worked so hard on the first three if you started your copy at the last minute you haven't allowed enough time for it and let me be very honest with you. I've done that before. I'm sure you have too. All I can say is if you want your copy to be as good as it can be, 
you want to harness the full power of your imagination to make it as compelling as possible, build in a day or two in your writing process to do nothing, to let this happen, to let the germination happen. My first business was a, an independent record label. And one of the things that we had, we called it fresh ears after we've done a final mix for, or a almost final mix for a song. We take a day or two and then we come back to the studio and we listen to it with fresh ears In in comic books, I've drawn comic books as well. Same thing. We have a concept called fresh eyes. You go away from the pad for an hour or two, and then you come back and you'll see little mistakes that you made, or you'll see little final touches that you needed to add. Uh, With copy for me, it's the same thing. A lot of times I like to have the post final version of it done two or three days before it's supposed to be turned in. That way, the day before it's supposed to be turned in, I can go back and look at it with fresh eyes and I'll see a lot of stuff. Um, Sometimes I end up rewriting almost a third of my copy because I needed that time for the ideas to kind of settle and then, and, and then be fresh. And then when I look at it fresh, um, I'll be able to notice a lot of things that I didn't notice when I thought I was done. Uh, I don't know if that's, again, a common practice. It's not something that I hear very many people talk about, but having those fresh eyes to go back and look at it with, you'll notice a lot of things that you thought you were done with that you weren't done with. That's a really good point. I mean, what what we're talking about today is kind of an earlier stage of the process, but it, you know, it's it's a lot more structured and rational as I'm describing it than it occurs in real life. Um, in in any event, you you yeah. Um, I I like to think of it as when you're in the heat of creation, your brain literally heats up. I mean, maybe you couldn't measure with thermometer, but it's it's all moving fast and excited. You need to calm down a little bit, let it slow down, let it cool off, and then look at it a little more dispassionately to see what you might have missed when you were so excited. So yeah, that's really good. All right, let's summarize. Sumner's four steps for feeding your imagination are clearly define your specific problem to assemble all you know, and I would add, write down Write it down where you can see it all at once or record it or type it in. Uh, Three, think about the facts, experiences, and insights you brought to step two, assemble all you know. I would further suggest that you do something with to really engage with what you know. Make it come alive in your mind, something like bullets or brainstorming a hook or putting together an outline of the copy you'll be writing later. And step four, um, easiest and the hardest one at the same time, do something else, take a nap, take a walk, enjoy some green tea, whatever, just get away from it for a while and allow yourself, allow the idea to take shape in your subconscious at its own pace. One more thing, here are a few steps you can use to develop your own imagination and creativity. These are small steps. Just take an old ad and rewrite it for your business. Make sure you come up with new words and phrases Don't plagiarize, just follow the structure and the general ideas, the general momentum. Uh, Another thing you could do is take a successful headline and brainstorm 10 variations. I give lots of examples of how to do this in my book, Advertising Headlines That Make You Rich. And the third thing is I'll have an announcement coming soon of a much easier way to stimulate your imagination than the first two, and stay tuned for that. 
So here's the book again. You can get it on Amazon. We'll put a link in the show notes, How I Learned the Secrets of Success in Advertising by G. Lynn Sumner. And um, Maxwell Sackheim, the you know, great guy, said, do you make these mistakes in English? We did a show on some of his work earlier. He has a testimonial on the cover. I highly recommend this. I highly recommend to anyone interested in good copy. Sounds like he's saying that in his native Russian. But uh, I highly recommend to anyone interested in good copy. <laughs> That's what I got, Nathan. I have one thing to close the show with. For the occasional listeners, they might think that we've taken on a sponsor from a green tea company. I just... I'm obsessed with green tea since you drink it. And I'd like to mention it as often as possible. I love green tea. All right, David. (laughs) And and we're not getting paid to say that. Uh, If listeners want to get more of the podcast, they can always head on over to copywriterspodcast.com. We've also got a bunch of the episodes available on YouTube now. Any other uh, closing arguments before we're out of here? No, um, just uh, keep listening to the show because you'll you'll get ideas along the way that'll really help you. Awesome. I really enjoyed this episode. And until next time, man, I will catch you later. Catch you later. Before we go, a quick question. Would you like to have me as a guest on your podcast? Let me give you an easy way to contact me about that. We've put up a form on garfinkelmedia.com, and it won't take much more than a minute to fill it out. So if you'd like to have me on your show, just go to garfinkelmedia.com and fill out the form. That's garfinkelmedia.com. Thanks, and see you next time on the Copywriters Podcast. This is the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.